They sat at a rough plank table, and Luke studied his companion. Pete was young, about twenty-five, he guessed. He had a dark red birthmark that ran from his right ear to his jawline. His teeth were uneven and discolored. What you staring at? Luke shrugged. On the table was a newspaper. He looked for the date. 29 January, 1958 and his eye was caught by the headline, U.S. Moon Stays Earthbound. He read on. Cape Canaveral, Tuesday. The U.S. Navy today abandoned a second attempt to launch its space rocket Vanguard after multiple technical problems. American hopes of launching a space satellite to rival the Soviet Sputnik now rest with the Army's rival Jupiter missile. Luke looked up as some more bums drifted in. Then the pastor extemporized a prayer, and they all lined up while Mrs. Lonigan served them hot oatmeal with syrup. Luke ate three bowls. Afterwards, he felt much better. His hangover was receding, and he needed to find out who he was. How long have you known me? he said to Pete. I don't know. You've been around a while. I have to find out where I'm from. What we need is a beer. I don't want a beer. I'd like to be alone for a while. Pete shrugged and turned for the door. See you around, then. Maybe. As Pete went out, Luke shook Pastor Lonigan's hand. Thank you. You haven't been living rough very long, have you? It takes its toll on a man, but your skin is clear under the dirt. Quit drinking now. Lead a normal life. I'm going to try. Luke went up the stairs and into the street. It was still dark. Pete was on the next block, speaking to a man in a green gabardine raincoat with a matching cap, begging the price of a beer, Luke guessed. He walked in the opposite direction. His feet were cold, and he realized he was not wearing socks under his boots. As he walked on, a light flurry of snow fell. Elspeth woke up worrying about Luke. She lay in her motel room bed, her heart heavy with concern for the man she loved. Then she switched on the bedside lamp, picked up the phone, and dialed Anthony Carroll's office in Washington. No reply. She tried his home number with the same result. Had something gone wrong? Then she thought about Luke and Anthony when she'd first known them, before the war. They'd been best friends at Harvard when she was at Radcliffe. The boys were both in the Harvard Glee Club, while Elspeth had been the conductor of the Radcliffe Choral Society and had organized a joint concert in their senior year. Cambridge, Massachusetts, 1941 Elspeth Toomey fell in love with Luke the first time he kissed her, at five minutes to midnight, in the shadows of the Radcliffe dormitory quad. That had been six months ago, and now she was seeing him every day. But although it was not uncommon for Radcliffe girls to get engaged in their final year to a Harvard boy, Luke had never spoken about marriage. She looked at him, sitting in a booth in Flanagan's bar, arguing with Byrne Rothston, a tall graduate student older than the rest of them. Byrne was a communist and had fought in the Spanish Civil War. Your father's a banker, he was saying to Luke. You'll be a banker, too. 
I don't aim to be. What then? A scientist. What kind? I want to explore beyond our planet. Space rocket schoolboy fantasy. No, it's going to happen. Are you kids old enough to drink in public? A tall figure cast a shadow over the table. It was Anthony Carroll. With him was a striking girl with a petite figure. Meet Billy Josephson. Byrne looked at her. Jewish? She was startled to be asked so directly. Yes. So you can marry Anthony, but you can't join his country club. I don't belong to a country club, Anthony protested. You will, Anthony. You will. Luke said, When Anthony said his date was called Billy, I imagined someone six feet tall and built like a wrestler. Billy laughed.